Welcome to the Wallace SEL podcast series. I'm Lucas Held, Director of Communications at the Wallace Foundation, and I'm delighted to have you join us today. Today, and for two further episodes, we'll be delving into an important area of our learning and enrichment portfolio at Wallace, social and emotional learning, or SEL as it's known. And we're thrilled to have with us two guests today. First uh, is Dr. Stephanie Jones, and Dr. Jones is one of the foremost researchers in social and emotional learning in the country. She works at Harvard University's Graduate School of Education, where she is the Gerald S. Lesser Professor of Early Childhood Education. And she also leads the EASL Laboratory, which stands for Ecological Approaches to Social-Emotional Learning. And the EASL Lab explores the effects of high-quality social-emotional interventions on the development and achievement of children, youth, teachers, parents, and communities using rigorous quantitative and qualitative methods. Dr. Jones is a very sought-after speaker uh, and advisor. She was a member of the Council of Distinguished Scientists for the National Commission on Social, Emotional, and Academic Development, which was convened by the Aspen Institute and released its final report in 2019. She's a recipient of the Grohmeyer Award in Education for her work with Edward Ziegler, who is considered the father of Head Start, uh, and Walter Gilliam on the book, A Vision for Universal Preschool Education, published in 2006. She serves on numerous national advisory boards and expert consultant groups related to social emotional development and child and family anti-poverty policies, including serving on the national boards of two nonprofit organizations, Parents as Teachers and Engaging Schools. She's a consultant to program developers, including for Sesame Street, and has conducted numerous evaluations of programs and early education efforts. We're also joined by Thelma Ramirez, who is a co-author of a new publication, Navigating SEL from the Inside Out, Second Edition. Thelma is a research assistant at the EASL Lab, where she primarily supports the SEL analysis project. And prior to working at the EASL Lab, she served as the program director for the Oklahoma Serves AmeriCorps program, where she partnered with 21 nonprofit agencies throughout the state of Oklahoma to increase academic engagement through in and out of school programming, including arts education, equestrian therapy, academic tutoring, and mentoring. Thelma has experience in early education, having served as a program supervisor and parent educator in home visiting programs that support families with prenatal to five-year-old children. And her research interests include culturally relevant education and the engagement of families in social emotional learning. So with that, uh, let me turn uh, uh, this over to the two of them with, with a basic question. And that is that we've all read about SEL uh, recently in the wake of, or as we crawl out of perhaps, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, Stephanie, I wonder if you could first define SEL for us, and maybe you and Thelma could speculate on why you think SEL has become such a focus after a year of online learning uh, and this jump back into in-person teaching? Well, first, um, 
Thank you, Lucas, for such a lovely introduction. <laughs> um, it's uh, an honor to be here. It has been an absolute delight to work with the Wallace Foundation on this guide and other projects. Um, also an absolute delight to work with Thelma and our whole team at the Easel Lab uh, on this guide and other projects related to SEL. Um, so, so great to be here. I'm so glad we're talking about this today. Um, and I could go two ways when defining SEL. I could go technical and start with, you know, the skills and competencies are these and these and these, or I can go into uh, a place that uh, really evokes what SEL is. And so I, th I feel like doing that. So that's what I'm going to do, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. Okay. We can always come back to the technical. Always. The technical will always be there. So, so when I talk about SEL to um, anybody, uh, I typically start by um, asking uh, my family members, the audience, my class, whomever, to cast their head into a classroom. And it could be an early childhood classroom. It could be a high school algebra class. It could be my own class on developmental insights. Uh, it could be actually a group sitting around a table uh, talking about a problem or eating dinner together. And so you just imagine that group. And typically there's an adult and there are a number of children or youth or adults. There are other people in the setting and everyone is engaged in a task. Um, I'm going to tell you a tale of one particular task, but you can imagine all kinds of others. So I'm imagining an uh, elementary school classroom and there is an adult, a teacher and a group of children, and they are um, sitting together reading a book. And it could be a book that is relevant to their science curriculum. It could be a book that is relevant to any kind of instructional thing that they're doing in the classroom. And I just imagine what does it take for that group to engage in that task together successfully? So think about what those children need to do to hear what's happening in the book, to hear the words, to hear the meaning, to feel the experience of the characters, or the, the actors in the book, whoever they might be. And so it takes attention. You have to be able to put your attention inside that activity and maybe shift it from one thing to another, one chapter to the next, or one idea to the next. You have to be able to marshal and hold your attention. In a group, Typically, you have to be able to manage your behavior. You can't be bumping everybody all the time because that's going to disturb their experience of the reading of the book. You have to be able to uh, understand, experience, and manage the emotional world because emotions come up in books. They come up in interactions. They come up in conversations. So you have to be able to sort of have a sense of what's the emotion that's happening for me right now? What am I seeing in this character in the book? And how does that make me feel? Maybe it makes me feel like jumping up and down, but I know I can't do that while we're doing this book thing because I'm supposed to learn about what's in the book. So there's a whole emotional world that is active right at that moment. And then uh, the child, the youth, the person needs to feel a connection and a sense of trust with that adult, right? I, I believe and I know 
that you value that I'm here, that you value my opinion, if I'm going to share it with you, that I trust what you're telling me is something that I need to learn. And I feel safe with you. Like managing those relationships or engaging in relationships is something that's embedded in that task as well. So, so, so the technical is all of those things. The kind of the felt experience is like we can imagine any kind of interaction that demands some set of those kinds of skills, those experiences, those attributes, those habits. So that's really what SEL is. Very striking, uh, Stephanie. And it makes me wonder, what brought you to SEL? I, I, I'm, I'm struck by the kind of vividness of your description as if you were kind of uh, reliving uh, uh, your experience as a child in a classroom. So I'm just curious, how, how did you come to SEL? That's a good question. Um, I, let's see, I... I started my career as a research assistant in a, a lab with a person who is now at NYU. His name is Larry Aber, and he was at Barnard College, which is where I went to undergraduate. He ran a lab that had, uh, he was engaged in a lot of, lot of different kinds of research. One area in particular was um, uh, young children's development, in particular toddlers. And there was a lab school at Barnard. And... I got involved in Larry's research. And at the beginning, I spent a lot of time observing toddlers in classrooms and toddlers interacting with their teachers and toddlers interacting with their parents. And there was something so visceral. There was something so um, so intense about these interactions. Toddlers, we know, are can be, you know, crazy <laughs> in the most wonderful way, but their, their experiences are intense and they are moving from, uh, you know, domains of safety to the world of exploration. So there's lots of, there's actually a lot of SEL inside those interactions, of course. And as I pivoted my work, as I went along in my trajectory and began to think about how these kinds of things play out in schools, it became clear to me that that conversations were so often about the things that weren't that I wasn't seeing in schools. Meaning, I would see an inter interaction that demanded all those things I described before, but the conversation about what was happening was either about how kids were doing academically and engaging with instructional materials, or about bad behavior. And so, it just I thought, wow, there's this whole world that's so central to what's happening in this setting and who, where, who's talking about it. It's obviously really critical. So I guess that would be the pathway in. If you could draw a straight line, that would be it. That's a fascinating story. I, I as, as I'm listening to you, you're describing a kind of uh, disjunction between what you were seeing and the discourse, which sounds like mostly was in the realm of uh, the cognitive. Yeah. Uh, m mostly in the realm of, of academic learning. And you were seeing them somehow um, fused together or at least uh, 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 traveling together. I want to come back to uh, uh, the question of sort of how the field emerged. But, but first, maybe... Uh, ask you, Thelma, how, how did you become interested in uh, social and emotional learning? 
Right out of college, I actually um, went into teaching. So I did AmeriCorps for a year to see if it was something that I was interested in doing long term and decided to stick around and then um, taught for a couple more years after that. And I found that a lot of the conversations um, that I was having with parents outside of the classroom really had to do with these social and emotional and behavioral issues. And I really enjoyed working with parents um, in general to talk about what they were doing at home that could potentially help us in the classroom. And um, because of those conversations and the, the relationships that I developed with families, I decided to look into parent education. And so then um, in parent education, you end up working with children who are a lot younger. So it's before they get to school. After um, doing parent education, I decided to go back to grad school and um, ended up at the lab working with Stephanie. So that was that was my trajectory. That's really interesting. And I, your comment about parents uh, really fits into this ecological uh, approach that we've, uh, uh, we've spoken about. So Stephanie, maybe you, you've sketched out your own uh, fascinating professional journey where you felt there was a kind of missing piece in the, uh, in the conversation. T tell us a little bit about how SEL began as a, a uh, as a kind of discipline. So I've been thinking about this this question a fair amount, and I my hunch is that those of us who are working in this field might characterize its origins and its current state and its own trajectory in different ways. We'd probably largely organize around a couple of common themes, but my guess is that we would describe it in slightly different ways. And then I think what happened in the 60s and the 70s and with the formation of Castle is that um, this area has sort of uh, become more explicit. It has emerged as uh, not just a discipline, but a set of tools and practices and um you know, direct and explicit work that can happen in the classroom and in a sense, really be direct about supporting these skills explicitly, as opposed to sort of in a way that is maybe covert or embedded in practice. And so I think that that's the, that's the, the evolution. It's from, from kind of maybe assumed and inside to explicit, intentional and direct. Um, you know, there was a period where where we began thinking about um, how testing and <laughs> spending a lot of time on testing is is a way to be ensure children are on track or that we are aligning our instructional practices toward what they need. And that that I think crowded out a lot of the momentum toward um, weaving in more explicit work on children's social and emotional skills as a support for learning. I think that that took it off track and, and in a way, elevated the need for it and the kinds of opportunities it presents. So, so you know, education reform efforts that have taken different um, forms over time have, have uh, intersected with this general pattern of going from like, this is something that's inside teaching to something that is now really explicit and part of how we do the work of teaching in classrooms and building experiences in schools. You've described a kind of um, movement from 
a moment where SEO was implicitly incorporated uh, into education to being um, crowded out a bit through the standards-based accountability uh, movement and now, uh, now, now re-emerging. Um, do, do you see academic learning and social and emotional learning uh, in conflict or should we, uh, uh, how, how should we consider those two. Some might say, well, there must be a trade-off there because there's a limited amount of time in the school day. How, how, how do you think about that? And Thelma, perhaps uh, after, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. You know, the way I think about it uh, is that all of these parts are inside of a whole child and are interwoven all the time. Like they're a part of every interaction. So, so, um, so that's one thing, like in the child, all of this is happening when they're in the school and when they're not in the school. Um, in the adult, all of this is happening when they're teaching or when they're living their life outside of their um, teaching. So in practice, though, I think that that one of the challenges has been that um, that building in an intentional and explicit focus on these skills is something that is taught and practiced and engaged with in schools has has presented a challenge about time and when do we do what and and you know with a fixed system if you put something in something comes out um, and that's a real challenge like that's a that has been a conversation that that has been around as long as I've been in my twenty years engaging in this field that has been a big part of the conversation. I don't think we really need to have that conversation anymore because we know uh, we know that in the child, all of these components are working actively together. We know from two to three decades of research that if we spend time explicitly, even if it's short periods of time, building children's SEL skills, we get a boost to their SEL skills, their well-being, their mental health, and their academic skills. So, so the time, even small, is worth it. And there are innovations in SEL practice that push us to think about how do we, how do we make it explicit and woven into the instructional work that we are doing so that it isn't like we're doing SEL on Tuesday and because we're doing it on Tuesday, we have to take out art. <laughs> Or something like that, which which feels silly because um, uh, we don't have to do that, and and we know that learning demands these things from kids and adults. So why not take advantage of that and get intentional about it rather than just sort of leaving it to the side? So, um, Thelma, uh, what 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 are your thoughts? Um, is is this kind of an imaginary? Uh, conflict uh, that uh, is, is being waged between the, uh, 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 the emotional world of a young person and uh, uh, the ability to learn? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I, certainly, I think I absolutely understand when teachers, you know, are presented with this big box of new SEL curricula and they're told, now you have to do this because it's true that they have, you know, they don't have enough time now to do to cover the 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 typical academic subject. So I don't know that it's an imaginary um, issue, but absolutely, I think um, 
I totally agree with everything Stephanie was saying. I think it's it's time that's really well spent. And it's typically, um, you know, whether you do it explicitly and you actually do it intentionally and you're working on an SEO curricula or you're you're working on these practices um, or whether you do it implicitly, um, it's happening in the classrooms. Um, there's so many more disruptions that will be happening, you, you know, during our math time and our science time and all of these other times. So I think that that's something that continues um, to be an issue in the classroom. I know that when, whenever we go in and, and, and do trainings and set this up, a lot of the barriers end up being time. Um, and so we, we need additional support for teachers. And I think there has to be buy-in and understanding of what this is you know, beyond just a teacher. So that means administration really needs to get on board and, and understand that it's going to be time really well spent. Well, I would just note, I think we had a bit of an SEL moment here, uh, if you will, uh, when my uh, kind of uh, dichotomous question of whether this was imaginary or, uh, or not uh, was kind of exploded. And you said, look, teachers really are under terrific uh, time pressure. Um, and, and so I think this actually is a nice setup for um, our conversation next time when we will talk about um, the importance of high quality implementation of SEL so that the time spent actually makes a difference. So I appreciate the respect that you're giving to teachers who are really in the trenches of the classroom under great pressure to produce uh, uh, academic gains. Maybe let's turn now to, uh, or come back to this question of why, why SEL now? So we've, we've come off this just uh, disruptive and emotionally uh, terrific, uh, terrifically uh, dispiriting uh, year with, with COVID. Uh, and going back into in-person learning, um, what, wh why SEL now? Why is it so important? And, and, and what are the special challenges related to uh, uh, COVID and coming out of COVID? I think that SEL has become sort of very visible in everyone's minds this year, in part because um, of all of the disruption. And that disruption has taken different forms for different people. But I, I'm thinking about, um, in particular, two, two types of adults, educators and parents. <laughs> so educators who build um, close and connected and important relationships with children, the children in their classrooms, over what is really quite a long period of time, saw that relationship completely transformed and disconnected. And, and in, in that disconnection is revealed the absence of the thing, right? So, so we suddenly, this thing that was kind of woven into how we do our work was broken and it became so apparent how important it was all along. And so I think that that, that got a lot of people thinking about, wow, this is a key to how the instructional work happens in my room or with my children and it's gone and I need that thing in order to, to, to do the, the academic work of the classroom. And, and so I think it became very present. I think for parents, um, uh, something similar, which is that many parents 
most, are were suddenly at home with their children, engaging in their work, and becoming a kind of uh, a proxy teacher of their children, or at least a facilitator of their academic learning while at home. And just that dynamic surfaces all kinds of social and emotional demands and tensions. And so I think it became very visible for parents as well. The other thing about this kind of whole body of skills is that they're quite susceptible to experiences of stress and disruption. And so so for young people and for adults who are experiencing stress, this this kind of stuff becomes ever-present and is challenged. And so I think that that's another way that we've all been experiencing um, our social-emotional life slightly differently since this happened. On the other hand, social emotional strategies and supports are a key way to disrupt the kind of the relationship between stress and experiences of anxiety, depression, frustration, and so on. And so as we as we have been, I guess, heading back into school, children and adults are bringing those experiences with them. And social and emotional supports and strategies are one really central way to support everyone as they kind of navigate the coming back together and all of the complexities of what that is now. There's lots of rules in place. There's lots of procedures. There's lots of things that are happening. And there's lots of ongoing anxiety. So so I think it's just been like elevated in its importance and in the opportunity it presents to help us all kind of continue to get through this. And that's fascinating to point to both the um, absence of the kind of um, connections that are naturally in a classroom and also the uh, uh, emotional uh, uh, impact of the pandemic. Thelma, are you seeing um, increased interest from the uh, schools that you're working with uh, in SEL? Yes, um, absolutely. Everything that that Stephanie was saying really holds true with the teachers that we um, have been working with more recently. So we just finished um, a project with some teachers who had been working remotely with their students for you know, the past year. Um, and they came in, um, they decided to do a summer program that was in person. And a lot of the conversations were really centered around trauma, loss, anxiety from being away from the home for the first time for a lot of the children and the ways to deal with that. So, you know, they had these um, these big plans around working on, you know, academic kind of retention and all of these topics and quickly realized that they really just needed to spend time um, with each other and developing those relationships with the students. So absolutely, I think um, we we're hearing time and time again as we're you know, as teachers are going back into the classroom, that that is absolutely um, an area of focus and a priority. So attention to uh, both the minds uh, and hearts uh, of, of, of the students. Um, let, let me uh, close uh, by this uh, podcast uh, uh, session with Stephanie Jones and Thelma Ramirez uh, by asking about um, what your thoughts are about um, uh, some uh, suspicion, uh, or in some cases, maybe even hostility toward social and emotional learning by those who oppose it uh, on the grounds that it really goes beyond 
what should be taught uh, in schools and should uh, be more the purview of parents, families, churches. Interestingly, uh, uh, the Thomas W. Fordham Institute released a survey uh, of 2,000 parents showing that the um, vast majority are interested in their uh, children learning the skills, uh, but they weren't crazy about the term. At least many of them weren't crazy about the term social and emotional learning and preferred uh, the term life skills, which was identified by a learning heroes uh, survey as something that resonated with parents. So what what are your thoughts about this idea that um, really leave this to the um, to the home, to the church uh, and other uh, 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 other settings? I, I hate to say this. I'm going to say what I said before again, which is that this is in the classroom. So the this that we're talking about is part of learning in the classroom. It's part of interactions with peers. It's part of relationships with teachers. And so, um, and so just in the same way, it is part of relationships with parents. It's part of relationships with, with those in your church, those in your community group, those in your neighborhood. Like it is, it is inside relationships and interactions. And so, so it's hard. I just have a, a hard time seeing how it, how it can't be uh, in every place. Um, it can't only be in one place because it is part of our humanness and and our human interactions. And so, so, um, so, I think that if we if we shifted our frame a bit to think about how this is a set of skills and competencies that enable and support learning and interactions and relationships then we can all see how it sits inside all the settings where people interact and learn and grow. And so um, I don't see how it becomes the purview of one person or another because it's part of every interaction that we have with anybody. So if you want uh, children to learn and grow in all the settings, um, it's uh, it, 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 it's worth thinking about um, both their learning and their uh, uh, emotional life uh, in in all those settings uh, as well. Um, well, this has been a, a terrific uh, conversation uh, with Stephanie Jones uh, of the Harvard Graduate School of Education and director of the Easel Lab, uh, and Thelma Ramirez, uh, who is a research assistant at the Easel Lab. Um, thank you for joining us for this first episode of the Wallace SEL podcast series. And Stephanie and Thelma and I uh, are looking forward to our next conversation which will be focused on what high-quality SEL actually looks like in practice, uh, in practice in schools, uh, after-school programs, and beyond. Thank you for joining us, and we'll hear you and see you next time.